Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Welcome to Sound and Vision. Austin Eddy is a maker of paintings, sculptures, prints, drawings, and collages. Not only has he shown his work all over the world, he recently founded Eddie's Room, which he curates shows for, with great young artists in a space that just happens to be a closet in his own apartment. We connected for a chat in his Brooklyn studio to talk about emotion in painting, the ins and outs of color, and why Green Day means so much to so many people. Here's our conversation. Oh, crazy. All right, so I don't want to keep you all day. That's cool. So uh, why don't you uh, let me know how it all started? Where did you, where did you come from? Where did it begin? Uh, I was born in Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Cambridge, and then went to middle school at FA Day, and then. Wait, nothing before you just went straight in the middle. Oh school? no! Yeah, I went to some school. It was like. A daycare school, but can't remember the name of it. <laughs> and then started doing, or what's that? What's before middle school? Elementary school. Elementary. Yeah. Yeah, did that at FA Day. And then went to, from there. Or no, I didn't go to FA Day. I went to. Oh shit! I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> well, here. When did you start making art, or when did you? When did art come into your life? Back then, were you kind of drawing or into art? Yeah, I was. I mean, like. I would always be drawing at home because my parents worked in theater. So I'd go like they'd do their like renderings and stuff. And so like we'd have like family time to some degree where we'd like work at home and then not having a babysitter, I'd go to work with them and then sort of like be like, it's time to be quiet. So do your drawings and keep yourself busy. Yeah. Yeah. And so I did that for a while and then like went to summer camp and like got into graffiti. Yeah when I was like 12, I guess. That's when you go to summer camp, I think. Sure. And so I started like doing graffiti and got really into drawing and color and that sort of stuff then. And it was way different than when you were drawing. Like around. pencils yeah, and like yeah. Ninja Turtles and shit, yeah. <laughs> Wait, so they were in a theater? Yeah. What, but did they do production stuff or? My mom did costume design oh, nice. and my dad did lighting and set, set design, so oh, like. Wow a lot of drawing in the house and they worked together or was it were you in different places you know were they working on the same production or were things my mom taught at tufts when i was like real little mm-hmm. and my dad taught sort of like adjunct in northeastern and then sort of did freelance theater around so you were in that's academia yep yeah yeah so when you later on was that something you were i mean you went to art school yeah so you kind of countered that in a way subverted it a little bit maybe a little bit yeah didn't really think about it it was just sort of like a the next step but were they really supportive of a life in the arts some parents aren't yeah i mean i i get the whole like uh i used to get the whole like when are you gonna get a job yeah (laughs) when are you gonna home depot's hiring yeah starbucks is hiring trying to instill that work ethic yeah at an early age oh no like 
after college too. Yeah. Yeah. Just still. Sometimes oh, still. I see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you're gonna do something dependable. Yeah. Yeah. Benefits and whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, parents they want their kids to be uh stable, I guess. Yeah. Stability. I would imagine, you know, having a kid, you think like, oh, well, actually, no. I want him to do whatever he wants. Just yeah. be good at it. Right. And but benefits are good. But there's all sorts of different kinds of benefits. That's true. You don't necessarily need government subsidized benefits to get along. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the life of a freelancer, yeah. in a way, you know, is something that they... So you think they want you to... They wanted you to be creative, but find it. Well, Home Depot isn't exactly... It's not really creative. Yeah. I think they just wanted me to have m- income. Right. And not sort of like live check to check. But to they, but they, I'm sure they're really interested in what you're doing. You know, your creative work. Yeah. It's more just like, they just don't want you to call up and be like, Hey, can you, <laughs> can you float me like yeah. 10 grand? <laughs> it's a little tight. Yeah. Can you get me through the next couple? Yeah. 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 Studios aren't cheap. No, no, New York's not cheap. It's not, it's not. So let's talk about the transition because so from Boston to yeah. New York, Chicago first, Chicago school, the Art Institute. Yeah. So did you spend more than two years there? I spent. I lived in Chicago for oh seven. Wait, that's right. Because yeah. Yeah, I did undergrad. That's right. Yeah. So you were there for a while. Right. Sort of cutting my teeth there. So what did you ever think about just sticking around in Chicago, or was it kind of like I got to get to New York at some point? Yeah, I thought about it for a minute, but it never, it never really panned out. Mm-hmm. It was there's no like, there wasn't the infrastructure I needed in order to like thrive. Yeah. Plus, like everybody left. After yeah, they after just school split. Yeah. Well, and being an East Coast person, I don't know. I find it hard to. I've been to you know, all over the country, and I I love certain aspects of it, but I think deep down, like I just get or I vibe with East Coast personalities and i don't know i can't picture living if i live somewhere else it would be another country yeah it wouldn't wouldn't be you know in the midwest or not that there's anything wrong with it no the midwest is great but it's just there's like a certain pace and sort of like drive that's more abundant on the east coast i think yeah i was always amazed when i went to la for the first time to show work and how chill it was it was just laid back yeah and a complete opposite of the east coast like hustle you know grind and they were just like yeah it's cool you know we'll get the work here yeah Yeah. we'll hang it don't worry (laughs) but yeah it's a it's a different it's a different vibe so you so you spent seven years there and then you came to new york Mm -hmm. and did you go back and forth to boston or you were pretty much here I'm, when I first moved here, I sort of was like couch surfing for a while. And so I'd go home for a little bit and then come back and sort of like try to find an apartment, try and find a job. Yeah. And, but a lot of my friends were really generous and sort of like hooked it up, let me stay on their floors or whatever and help me get work and all yeah. that. And then it sort of just grew from there. And so I, d- I don't go back that often. Yeah. Only when you're in group shows? Group solo shows. shows? Yeah, yeah. Or like holidays, maybe. Yeah. Well, Boston's a, I mean, it's an, it's an arts friendly town, you know, you got, isn't it? I mean, maybe not to support work, but maybe as like a growing up there and there's a lot of, 
amazing museum. You know, there's a lot of places to go to see stuff, and yeah. I feel like it's conducive to a life in the arts, or at least a, an upbringing. I mean, I grew up in Pittsburgh, which is not a destination. Right. But growing up there and being around the Carnegie Museum and, you know, the Mattress Factory and the Carnegie Science Center, I feel like it was really kind of like a good place to grow up. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of working class. You get a foundation in art or you get exposed to it. Yeah. You know, and then you can get out of there. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, Boston's yeah, a city, too, where it's like there's nothing that can really hold you there. Yeah. Unless it's like a real job. Yeah. Well, I get a lot of students who ask me, you know, do you have to move to New York? And it just always comes down to, well, I mean, if you want to try to make work and show it with the most, share it with the most amount of people, and then you have to go somewhere where there's a support system for it, right. where people will actually, you know, help you make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so you came to New York, you, you got your feet onto you. Yeah. And then. Sort of. Yeah. And ever since then. <laughs> just trying to keep them there. Yeah. So, well, let's talk about your work, too, because, you know, you're someone who, even before I knew you and knew the work really well, I was really, um, I really admired your work ethic. It just seemed like you were a working artist. Mm-hmm. Like you, you know, different people have different ways of working. A lot of people, you know, whether it's conceptual work or performance, wh- there's a lot of different ways to approach daily practice of making work, but I feel like... I've always been interested in artists who who kind of learn or think about their work through the act of making. And I feel like I see that in your work. I don't know if that's how it is in the studio when you're making it, but it just really feels like you're working out ideas and you're really making steps through the process of working in it. And it just seems so physical and hands-on. And you're prolific, too, I think. You, you know, it's not like it takes you a year to make a painting. So can you talk a little bit about your approach to, like, just making work? Um, I guess I'd say I'd just jump right into it. It's sort of like there's no there's no way to move forward without trying and failing. Mm-hmm. And so it's a lot of like, yeah, it's a lot of like learning through each painting and sort of like a lot of the work is serial to some degree. So it's like the mistakes and information gained or lost from the previous painting and form the next painting and sort of like each painting is a stepping stone towards the next better quote unquote painting yeah and so, so when you're working on a group of work say it's I mean will you stretch like 30 canvases that are like 20 by 36 or something and work through that and have an idea through a specific group of work or does it just kind of happen as you're working that things become serial in nature or you know yeah, I feel like I've seen work of yours that it looks as if like, okay, I'm working on this size for a certain amount of time and I'm going to explore what happens there and then just flip that and change it. Do you find yourself working in that way? Yeah. I mean, I typically work in like three different sizes, both for like economy of space and sort of like being comfortable with a size in order to be able to push other aspects of the work as opposed to being like, oh, I guess I'll try and uh, like odd numbers and I'll try squares and whatever as opposed to like I like to just work in a rectangle yeah. and sort of like because then it's it's limiting limiting the number of the number of questions mm-hmm. and then you can pose your own questions on the surface as opposed to having to like really really consider how much 
how much information is or like how important is everything else going into it besides what's being presented right well it seems like materials is a big part of that too because you're pushing around a lot of different you know materials in the work right uh, and so maybe the consistency of you know the framework of what you're doing enables you to push that around a bit right. and is that something you've always been interested in you know you do use unconventional materials in some of your paintings right what is what what are some of the materials you use besides oil paint and use um caulk sometimes right yeah and collaging canvas and printing do you use printmaking when you're making your paintings at all i used to yeah and so it was a lot of like i mean it's always sort of like alternative tools to make a painting without without paint yeah because i've never for some reason i've never been totally satisfied with the idea that a painting just needs to be paint mm -hmm. but it it can function as a painting with all this other stuff yeah and by well, and you do sculpture too yeah so was that always happening or is that something that's recent I've always had like a toe in the pool, but never yeah. sort of like, I've never fully committed to like a large scale jumbo sculpture. Right. Space. The, ca the cannonball. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I've always done sculpture, but always on a small scale. Yeah. And it's, well, some of the things that I've seen recently are a little bigger, right? They're yeah. Not, they're not tiny. Is that something that you feel like you are going to explore more in a larger scale or is it just the the sort of logistics of making you know s large scale sculptures that is very difficult i imagine i think i mean i would love to make large scale sculptures it's more space i don't have enough yeah in time because it's like painting takes so much time life takes so much time it does and then trying to add sculpture and printmaking and drawing and all the other stuff in there too but they just feed. Is that part of the love of it? Is that it feeds the other work? It's, it becomes. Yeah. I mean, I, I like to work across different media with like digital stuff too because I feel like it really changes the way, not extremely, but it, it, it it's like a different ingredient that I can bring back into the painting. And I feel like it enriches the process of making work, you know? Because yeah. just when I feel like I'm over painting, like I've been working on a show or I'm working on a big group of paintings, I feel like okay, I need a break. And then I turn and I start working on an animation and it resets my my brain. And then I go back into painting in a totally different way, you know? Right. Is that something that is of value to you when you're working across these different ways of working? Yeah. I mean, it all sort of informs each other. So it's all sort of cyclical, like a, like a spiral yeah. or circle or whatever. And it's sort of like taking the information you learn from the printmaking process and applying it to the painting and then taking the painting process and applying it to drawing and then taking the drawing process and applying it to sculpture. Mm -hmm. It all sort of feeds it into each other and then you sort of end up with this feeling of like it's all sort of the same, so why why, why differentiate to some degree? Yeah. And like you can use whatever to do whatever, so just go for it. Yeah, it's funny because a lot of times you'll get these questions about the process, you know, of mm -hmm. how like oh do you start with the drawing or do you draw everything on the computer but it's it's really for a lot of people i think it's just all at once and it all feeds into each other and it's really nice when it mixes and creates like a a soup of like influence you know in your work no exactly yeah so um well what about i i'd, I'd like to ask you a little bit too about music and how that enters your your interests and like when you started getting interested in music what kind of music you were listening to when you were younger and you know, its role in your studio or in your life? 
I think my first tape was crisscross. Nice. Jump. Cassette tape. Yeah, cassette tape. Backwards pants on the cover. The two of them with the backwards pants. Yeah, and it's like it. purple and yellow and blue. Yeah. I think. So wait, was it the single or was it the full LP? It's like the full tape. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not the single. Right. The no. song was the song was good, but not that good. Yeah. That was your first tape. That was my first tape. Wow. And nice. then and then I my first CD was like Green Day Dookie, I think. <laughs> Nice. So somehow I transitioned from like hip hop to like mall punk. It happened. Yeah. I think those were parallel tracks. I remember listening heavily because I did a lot of skateboarding when I was young. So I remember The Cure being big, but back like the early Cure. Yeah. And listening to that is a little more punk at the beginning. Right. Like that. And then switching that out with um, It Takes a Nation of Millions, Public Enemy was huge. Yeah, yeah. And I think there were, it was just, you know, they were two of the same things in a way. Right. You know what I mean? Like punk and like that new wave. Like it had a very similar feeling to early hip hop or rap. Right. You know? Well, it all had like a similar sort of like distaste for the status quo and sort of like aggression to it that sort of like fed the anger of adolescence to some degree yeah you know it's funny i was just talking to someone about that and they were saying that young people don't have as much angst against their parents because Uh things are kind of okay right but i don't (laughs) know if they really are or yeah it's probably just different yeah but they were saying that they felt that um that angst is integral for being an artist in in some form or another like there has to be this kind of like going against something or fighting something right no totally i mean that's the whole i mean that's sort of what drives everything isn't it so it's like you're dissatisfied with with what came before so you have to do something more interesting and not necessarily better but like to counter it yeah equally important yeah 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 i think that's that's true so it doesn't necessarily hadn't been like you just had a really bad childhood and that made you an amazing because you know you'll hear a lot of comedians say that they just had the worst upbringing and that right. made them a great comedian because they turned to humor right like right. they had to laugh about things or it just would have been ugly right know? right but as far as being a creative person or wanting to express yourself visually like that that you know there were there was uh, maybe when we were growing up too there's this uh counterculture has a very specific aesthetic you know right i remember like old black flag records and the raymond pettibone and like sonic youth yeah yeah like you those are really important when you're growing up oh you know the posters in my room like all those you know that visual stuff was really important and skateboarding i think couples that because you know you're doing this sport and it's all about kind of breaking the rules in a way because you're never supposed to be where you are right you're never defacing everything yeah and you're irritating everyone in real time Right. And you're doing it on a piece of wood with a painting on it, mm-hmm. you know? So, like, I remember, like, getting that Mark Gonzalez skateboard and loving that artwork. Yeah. And it, it meant a lot, you know? Right. So I wonder I wonder what that is today for, or maybe it's just Instagram. Or, like, iPhone cases? I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, like, back then, too, like, all the ephemera, like, you could decorate your clothes with, like, patches and pins and all that shit was yeah, super, yeah. super fun. I know it was amazing. It was it was kind of like your expression. Yeah. You know? Like if you have the big Sonic Youth goo patch on the back of your jean jacket, I mean you're making a statement yeah. with the DRI patch on the sleeve. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like pretty tough. Yeah, and that just turns you into an artist. Right to some degree. 
<laughs> yeah, you have to put a little work in, but yeah, the small steps. Yeah, yeah, baby steps. So, um, with your painting recently, you've been adding because co- you went through. I, I don't know exactly how long, but you went through a while where you purged color out. I mean, it was black and white or gray or, you know, beige yeah. for a while or can like canvas color. You know? Yeah, yeah. And um, what was your, how did that happen? You know, because uh, you weren't always working monochromatically. You know? No, it was like high octane color. And it was, it was mis misinformed or like malinformed. Like not necessarily the most intelligent use of color and i th- but at the time i was like oh i'm a genius and like this is the best stuff ever and really i was just using every color straight out of the tube and so it was like great yeah but after a certain point i got really dissatisfied with like how how flat everything really looked and so i i got i got sort of like fed up and like someone posed this like challenge of like can you make a black and white painting? And I was like, no, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. And so in, in that challenge, it sort of created this new set of problems where it's like purge the thing you rely on most and then have no legs. And so like working through that thing, like that, uh, black and white thing was super helpful with, to bring the color back Mm -hmm. and sort of like you focus more on shape and tone and sort of like relationships as opposed to, does yellow look good next to pink or whatever? Yeah. And was it kind of like a, a reintroduction step by step? You know what I mean? Were you building it back in slowly? Yeah. Like that's, that's why I went from like straight up black and white to like beige and brown mm-hmm. and tan and sort of like neutral, natural colors from, cause like the paintings, the black and white paintings before were mostly those materials just painted black or white. Mm-hmm. And so it was all collaged and then sort of like removing the step of painting to just do the collage was was liberating to some degree, but not necessarily the most fruitful path. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with um, with the color, it's it's almost like the black and white reduces it in a way to drawing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's almost like graphite. Yeah. And then it seems like you brought in like the dead palette. Yeah. In a way, it's like a very traditional way of painting in a way yeah. like not in one painting but thinking about over time it's like i'll start out with the drawing right. reduce things down to like line form then add in this dead palette of like siennas or brown or you know just like a muted yeah, yeah. and then come back in with color so is that pretty much where you are now to where you're just because it's still this work that we're surrounded by seems it still seems controlled and very conscious of the, it's not like a like you're saying, like straight out of the tube, crazy color explosion. Yeah. It seems real purposeful and measured, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a lot of like layering. So it's about building up color to get these super dark tones, which then sort of function like black and white mm-hmm. to some degree. But they're all, but it's color. So it's like browns and purples, but almost so dark that they're almost black. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in in your work too, I feel like there there's a relationship with painting, the yeah. history of painting, and I'm just going out on a limb and saying that there's a real love for, you know, older painting and just you know painting in general, like the history of it. It just seems like you're mining and really you know taking in a lot of the history of painting. Is that, I mean, what what does that mean to you in your process? You know, 
Um, I feel like today you see a lot of painters who are worried about process or, you know, my painting is kind of, you know, a glitchy screen or I don't know. It's just like a quote of something, but it feels like you're really, you know, invested in not quoting, but, but these have a relationship to modernist painting or, you know, cubist painting or, you know, a lot of different aspects of paintings past seems to play heavily in the way you're thinking about making work. Is that like a hyper conscious decision or how did you come to that process as opposed to just making paintings of your iPhone cover? Oh, uh, I think I don't necessarily think too much about the past and in, in terms of creating the future. It's sort of more this like, or like the work itself, it's sort of more intuitive and guttural. Mm -hmm. It's sort of, it, I feel like I look at a lot of older paintings only because I feel like there's so much more heart in a lot of older work. Mm -hmm. Because, not to say there isn't in the work going on now. No, there's not. <laughs> I checked. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the pulse is gone. Yeah, that's just. Right. But like painting, di apparently painting died or whatever, but it's it definitely didn't. But I think the, the like, 50s and 40s and 30s and 20s and all that stuff was sort of, like, super interesting because it was super innovative mm -hmm. and sort of, like, that sort of innovation could never really be exhausted. And so, so, like, in terms of thinking about that, like, looking at that kind of work sort of informs this idea of, like, pushing forward. Yeah, which is, I, I it's really interesting and in relationship I kind of think of jazz as a parallel mm -hmm. to where you know in modern jazz you, right. know, you had Miles Davis someone like Miles Davis who was like Picasso basically right. he just opened door after door he just every every time he created this new thing he would just blow it up and then create another new thing it was so innovative and it's still I feel like that kind of jazz sensibility in music still exists it's just in different format like now there's a lot of digital use of digital sound or whatever but there's still these ways of pushing you know the music mm -hmm. and it's still happening in jazz itself too no and, totally and um i think maybe that relationship jumps out at me because i think specifically to modernist painting that there is a, a slight sensibility that you might be tapping into or that's mm -hmm. an influence um you know d I, I think it something about that statement of like heart and painting is um, really interesting to me these are almost it's like emo you know mm -hmm. like how music became unemotional to right. people's in people's eyes when it became hyper conceptualized or you know it wasn't about like these feelings and it, these really feel like there's emotion and heart behind it yeah and um, there I do see a lot I think or at least maybe there's heart in it but it doesn't look like there's a lot of heart in it right right I mean I wonder if there's a difference between the illustration or the the showing of heart and then the actual heart behind painting right no i i think there is i mean it's like comparing say like jimmy eat world mm -hmm. to like i hate myself mm -hmm. like the gainesville florida punk rock band yeah yeah like jimmy eat world's like the commercialized version where it like sounds like sad teenagers yeah Whereas it, and then you'd look at this other band that's like actually putting everything into it that they have. Right. Which, I mean, not to say that Jimmy Eat World didn't, because I like Jimmy Eat World. Right. But like, I can relate more to the other band only because of the rawness. Yeah. Whereas I feel like 
I think the rawness is what allows entry and sort of like access to emotion where something sort of more polished deflects it. Even though it may be there, but not necessarily what people see. Yeah. And I think it, well, my hope is that the real true kind of feeling behind something comes out in one way or another. Right. No matter what the vehicle is. So if you take someone like Green Day, mm-hmm. when I first saw a Green Day video, it was pretty raw. Yeah. Like these guys were, you know, legitimate. Green Day. Like, and they were like punk, yeah. you know. But, and then the the criticism is that they, they kind of got poppy or they, I don't know, they got sold watered out. down or sold out or whatever it yeah, was. Yeah. And then they did that Time of Our Life song. Yeah. Which... Whether you like that song or not, and whether you think it's cheesy, that touched a lot of people. Like, people really feel emotional about that song. Well, people feel really emotionally regardless. It's just sort of what tools can people making something use to let people open up? Um, I wanted to to talk for a second about social media. Okay. And and what you think of it. Because, I mean, we connect with people online nowadays yeah. and it is an arm of our studio in a way or you know it's a different way that we s- get out there and, and share work and um is it something that you i mean you're active in it yeah has it been beneficial or is it problematic or is it a combination of both i think it's a combination of both mm-hmm. uh, you get you get caught up in it like a time suck yeah or you just get lost yeah, I mean, it's just like you can see so much information yeah. out there. I mean, I don't do Twitter, and that's like a different wormhole where it's like just right, right. reading and who knows where that goes. Yeah, but yeah, you th- can lose time on there. I purpo- yeah. I have it, but I purposefully limit. I just set it up so Instagram tweets my photos. Oh, that's good. Because then I'm active in it, I guess. But I'm not. If I get on, I it's. I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff to read. Yeah. Know? And I feel like back in the day when I was, you know, when the internet was more of a novelty and not so fast, but I would still get caught up reading about this and that and, you know, and have to be like, okay, I'm only going to do this at certain times and I'm going to paint most of the other time. But right. fortunately it was just so slow and yeah, with the inconvenient. Yeah. <laughs> like videos weren't a thing really. Right. No YouTube, no, no, no. like Vimeo or whatever, Vine or I don't know what the other ones are. Yeah, there's a million. And I just, I heard someone talking about YouTube and the fact that, like, what they did before YouTube. And they said it when it started. I forget what year it was, but it wasn't that long ago. No. It's fairly recent. Yeah. I mean. Now now everyone, I mean, everything is on there. Video content is just so easy now. Yeah. That you can really, you can not work if you really want to (laughs) just. Dig into the internet, yeah. Yeah. But is it, are you, in your work, is it. Um, purely generative or are you ever looking at things in relation to your work I mean I know you're looking at life but are you actually like in my work photography is a big part of it or like my travels and Mm -hmm. in the world around us is a big element of my work and travel for me has become a big kind of uh, conceptual part of my practice Mm -hmm. Um, with you I would imagine a lot of this is invented yeah I mean it's all they're all sort of metaphors for experiences. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, they are invented, but 
based off of reality. Which I love. It's conditional experience that's feeding it. So right. you have to go out there and live. Right. You can't do that on Instagram. No, I don't. I mean, I look at Instagram, but I don't look at Instagram for ideas. Yeah. I feel like you lose ideas when you look at Instagram. Which is crazy because uh, you've visited art schools and talked to young students. They look at it. Yeah. They're influenced by it. They I think it's a, it's a little more of an ingredient for them. Right. Yeah, but what happens when, you know, your social life and your experiential life is mediated from day to night all the time with, so with you know, social media and the Internet? Yeah. I think it really changes the way you encounter the world. Right. Which, you know, are we going to be the old guys who are saying that's a bummer? Not necessarily. Or is it just the way it is now? You know what I mean? Maybe it's just like a hiccup and it's going to go back to something a little bit more interactive, not so isolated. I wonder. Yeah. I think people long to be with people. So why why are all these people isolating themselves to some degree? It's not satisfying to like text all the time. There's something about the warmth of conversation in in life. Which I totally agree with. Yeah. I wonder what happens when people grow up and that's the way that they interact. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Where it's not so much like we've gone through the pre that, you know, before the ability to just totally like shut yourself in a room. Right. And I mean, you could do that, but then you weren't talking to anyone. Right. Now you can shut yourself in a room and be and super have popular, a, have a job. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Pay the bills. Yeah. Be really popular. Yeah. Have lots of friends. Right. And, you know, that's your experience. And you can actually engage in some level with and communicate. I mean, it's not, it's a different kind of communication, but I wonder if it just changes, if people become more adapted to, oh, that's just the way we interact. I, I mean, mean, you have to adapt. Yeah. So. Yeah. Cause we used to, you know, think about before airplanes. Yeah. I mean, you know, we you didn't interact it. with other people in other countries. We right. had that happened and then people had to be like, oh, well, uh, there's other cultures. Let's learn about them and, and interact. And, right. you know, it changed the way people, socially interacted actually and and i i feel like maybe it's really interesting to think about your work as being this kind of relationship of interactions mm-hmm. and then i feel like my work is way different in the image of like you know visually of what's going on with representation and the way it's made or whatever mm-hmm. but it is about what our spaces that we're surrounded in and where we go and what that says about us as people right you know what i mean so it's um but then what happens when that shifts out of personal experience or it becomes mediated it seems like things are really becoming mediated and i often wonder if sometimes maybe the most avant-garde in speaking in relation to music and you know digital media is maybe the fight against that best or not best but is it interestingly fought in the battlefield of new media you know what i'm saying yeah i mean there's a lot of people out there right now doing incredibly interesting things with new media the internet technology yeah it just is not for me nice yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i it's it's totally it's really interesting that you can have that conversation either way or you know in any way i guess but i think that's the root it's like you have to at the end of the day no matter where you are, you're in your studio and you've got to find that fire and whatever right. it is, whatever the, whether it's Instagram or whether it's, you know, whether it's um, Green Day 
with guitars and yeah. rocking out or whether they got an acoustic and it's a ballad. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's really about that inner expression that is the most important thing. Right. It's just having something to say and a deep need to say it. Yeah. Through, yeah. through pictures, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. So um, what do you have coming up? What are you working on? Uh, I'm working on this book with the book people you're working with. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. And that'll be out soon? Yeah, in May on the 20th. Cool. Yeah. What are you putting in the book? It's sort of like a compilation of drawings, prints, paintings, sketches, etc. Photogra- no, photographs, actually. Just sort of all the like handmade ephemera yeah. to the actual objects themselves compiled in this thing. So it's been like work from a year, year and a half. Nice. Yeah. That's great. And that's coming out soon? Yeah, yeah, soon. Okay, cool. All right, man. Well, thanks so much for taking out the time to chat. Yeah, thank you. It's always always good to catch up and, and talk, so. Yeah, definitely. All right, thanks. Thank you.